Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. I'm Meera Chandan from FX Strategy. Um, this isn't really our usual weekly podcast update on currencies. Um, instead, we are focusing on the media outlook for the coming uh, months. Um, and to cover this, uh, we have the global team on. Uh, so we have more people than usual on this podcast joining us from Asia, Europe, and London. And also this podcast, as a result, will be slightly longer format um, than usual as well. Um, so to remind uh, listeners, uh, we did have a shift in our dollar view in the past month. We've turned uh, more defensive overall in our FX recommendations. We're bullish the dollar. Um, the rationale was twofold. Uh, firstly, that growth momentum, particularly outside the U.S., had started to weaken both in Europe and in um, and in China. And second, uh, that core inflation has been stickier um, as well, which is prompting central banks to go uh, uh, for for longer. Um, and these are clearly the two key differences going into the second half. It's lending itself to a less benign uh, backdrop for FX markets. And our preference as a result uh, to be defensive has been to be uh, long the dollar versus low yielding growth sensitive currencies in G10, uh, like Scandies, for instance, uh, or the euro or some other um, vulnerable currencies like sterling and New Zealand. Uh, so, you know, with that uh, stage uh, uh, set up, uh, let's just get view from all the regions uh, to discuss the specific uh, recommendations there. Let's start with China. Um, Arindam, there's a lot going on with China with talks of fiscal stimulus alongside the rate cuts. Uh, what is the view on CNH going into the second half of this year? Uh, sure, Mina. So on, on CNY and China, uh, listen, we've talked about our bearish CNY view uh, many times on this podcast. So um, rather than rehash all those arguments, uh, and all of which remain in place in our view, why don't I focus on the one key China issue that could animate macro markets in H2, which is uh, policy stimulus out of Beijing, uh, how much, in what form, and what will it take to uh, really matter for markets. PBOC has already effected a surprise rate cut this month, and uh, markets are now looking ahead to the July Politburo meeting uh, for additional measures. So what can they do? Uh, maybe on the monetary front, a uh, positive surprise would be one or two more OMO or MLF rate cuts. They could use uh, monetization of quasi-fiscal tools like uh, the PSL. On the fiscal front, um, I think you will get uh, a targeted tax rebate for certain industries continuing. Uh, you're probably likely to get a speeding up of uh, issuance of this year's LGV quota. Uh, you could get local level uh, or product specific consumption support. Uh, but what would constitute a positive surprise if you, is if you get the special CGV issuance to support consumption. The market has been talking about a one trillion uh, CNY package, so that remains to be seen. I think markets will care deeply about property sector easing. Uh, the consensus is. Uh, you know, we get continuation of the sort of measures from late last year, which are basically local level loosening of uh, quotas, mortgages, LTV ratios, etc. Uh, but what would constitute a, a big positive surprise is if we get a nationwide relaxation on demand side restrictions, especially in tier one cities where most of that housing demand resides. And if you get relaxation of the three red lines uh, constraints uh, for lending to property developers, um, but see, all of this, uh, in terms of the impact on markets, uh, I think uh, will be decided by the overall composition of the package, uh, because China does far less property and industrial policy easing these days compared to the last PPI deflation episode back in 2015-16. 
I think FX and rates uh, easing will have to do a lot more of the heavy lifting this time around, and that should keep the CNY weak. In addition to your usual seasonal flows we've talked about on this podcast, dividend outflows and a pickup in tourism around this time of the year. So our strategy very much is to play the first order policy effect of weak CNY rather than the second order effect of any CNY's trend that could ensue later in the year if growth does begin to look up. Now, with that, uh, Mira, why don't I turn to you on the euro? Uh, H1, especially Q1, was quite good for the currency, but the story seems to have started to turn for the worse in the last one and one and a half months. Uh, especially today's weak flash PMIs add to the evidence that Europe could find it tougher going than perhaps uh, many investors expect in H2. Your thoughts on where the currency goes from here? Sure. Thanks, Rindam. So on Eurodollar, um, the view has changed. We have become more bearish on uh, Eurodollar. We uh, once again thought this was a regime shift about a month ago when we saw uh, the growth momentum in, in Europe abruptly run out of steam. Uh, the argument we've been making is that uh, so far in first half, both rate differentials and growth differentials were moving in favor of Euro. And, uh, you know, as if you look at rate differentials now, they still pretty much stay elevated in favor of euro. But I think that, you know, with growth sort of turning the other way, and we saw that in the flash BMIs today, for instance, um, I think that uh, the currency itself is really going to be tracking um, growth rather than rates. So we have turned underweight um, euro dollar. Uh, now, for what it's worth, um, you know, we're not looking for massive ranges here. Range is expected to be pretty narrow between 105 and 110. Um, so, so this is a five cent range that we're looking for. Nothing to really write home about, uh, but uh, but certainly what this would imply if our 105 target was realized that you would get larger moves from, from the higher beta uh, currencies um, in the region, uh, such as Scandies, potentially Sterling as well. And, uh, you know, we are bearish that entire sort of complex uh, to reflect uh, the bearish year of view. Uh, you know, eventually on the other side of the recession, euro dollar should get to 120 but we do have to wait for growth for that to be materialized. So to, to me, the growth angle remains uh, remains key here for FX. So uh, let's now talk about um, the two other currencies of interest here, uh, sterling and yen. Uh, Patrick, uh, you know, you joined us from New York. Can you give us a rundown on what the baseline views are for both of those currencies? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mira. So sterling's obviously been a bit of a tough trade this year, but we we, we remain pretty bearish. And, and generally, I think the second half should have more opportunities to play sterling from the downside. Um, the UK has a lot of known issues. Uh, inflation's too high. The supply side is weak. The labor market hasn't grown much. Potential growth is low. But sterling has pretty much just followed nominal rates repricing this year. Um, Delta basically had the largest repricing in the G10 space year to date. Um, but in the first half, you know, that was set against the backdrop of generally more benign growth conditions. Um, and I think questions around the durability of that resilience in the UK in the second half, you know, for me, haven't gone away yet. Um, I mean, the UK now has the highest price terminal rate. It seems like pressure on housing is getting more acute. Um, our economists note that the BOE going this far really implicitly suggests that there is going to have to be a material labor market correction in order to tamp down inflation. So I think we're increasingly looking at a bad hike scenario for sterling going forward. Um, and maybe consistent with that, you know, the, the sterling twy has weakened on the day following the last couple CPI beats in recent months. Um, and so that may be a sign that the market's starting to show a little bit more sensitivity to the negative implications of the data. Um, and sterling was also fairly flat or at least mixed, you know, after the BOE yesterday, 
despite the surprise 50 basis point hike. And so I think that probably tells you something similar. Um, and then there's the asymmetry that we've been arguing where if UK data actually does roll over and then perhaps the, you know, the BOE pricing looks a little bit too elevated and sterling yields have to catch down to the rest of G10 undoing what has, you know, very obviously helped support sterling so much in the first half uh, of this year in the first place. Um, so bottom line, I think, is that, you know, conditions are changing enough where sterling downside should open up a bit more before long. Um, and in terms of targets, we have 118 penciled in for cable uh, by the end of this year. On yen, um, you know, in recent months, we've been increasingly skeptical on yen's prospects. And that's, you know, reflected a, ra a range of local issues in Japan. Uh, but of course, it's also been boosted by the fact that inflation across DM has proven a lot stickier than the market had been expecting to this point. Um, so that's proven to be a pretty bearish cocktail for yen. Um, but we're taking that a step further this week, given just kind of how pessimistic the team really has become on the local dynamics in Japan. Um, I mean, the BOJ just refuses to budge for now. And even if you do get a YCC adjustment at some point, you're still looking at a negative policy rate against the backdrop where local CPI continues to surprise the upside this week, um, basically meaning that real yields continue to deteriorate over there. Uh, that's a problem for locals. They have a large stock of cash deposits that we think you know, could start to get moved abroad. Um, and this is also set against a backdrop of you know, balance of payment deterioration that's you know, undergoing some structural shifts, particularly on the services side, uh, which also is at the detriment of yen. Um, so it's quite a stark local setup that I think deviates pretty considerably from the rest of the G10 space. Uh, and with inflation so sticky elsewhere um, and basically decreasing the, the odds of a Fed cut anytime soon, you know, that remains a pretty, a pretty toxic mix for yen. Um, so on net, the result is that we've actually downgraded the complex of yen forecast pretty considerably this week. Uh, we're now calling for dollar yen at 152 by the end of the year. And so to summarize, I'd say that we're increasingly pretty clearly, you know, bearish on yen's prospects from here. Okay, thanks, uh, Patrick. So that's bearish yen, um, bearish uh, sterling as well. So, uh, Ladislav, let's turn to volatility now in currencies. It's been super low. It's declined a lot post SVB. Uh, do you think it will uh, recover in the second half? And and you know what should what should we be doing in the interim? Yeah, thanks, Mira. Yes, the FX falls are indeed below eight handle at least for the for the DM portion of the FX falls, which does look quite downbeat and in a way suggest that FX vol is in a way pressing in to be immune to the late cycle conditions and quite decoupled from the US recession, which in, in a way at least midterm view is that seems uh, at least a little bit wrong. Um, on the business cycle matrix, FX vol do look fair down from reach from about six months ago and undershooting great vol. So definitely for the next couple of quarters gives us a little bit of a cautious bias and we think that uh, Wall shouldn't really revisit the laws that we've seen in the first half and rather could uh, actually um, a little bit uh, nudge higher, but it's really not at this stage still run for the hills defensive type of thing. Now, some of the teams that we are watching, uh, one is uh, FX uh, carry to wall. Uh, we think there is quite a bit of disconnect there. Uh, carry to wall ratios are at pre-GFC high levels. And that does open up some opportunities. For example, LATAM yen crosses in uh, uh, some kind of structures along the line of uh, call spreads, dual digitals offer quite high leverage. We think that's interesting. 
The other oddity is in convexity pricing, and that links back to the lack of recession pricing. Those are at near historical uh, lows for a number of currencies. Again, that's uh, suitable for potential tail hedging purposes, especially where stagflation may be a threat, uh, like um, what uh, Patrick was mentioning. Um, Cross-yen skews, we think, will continue to underperform given weak um, uh, yen tail risk. Uh, again, uh, along the lines uh, of what Patrick was mentioning uh, on the new forecast for yen. And we think that can be quite well captured through the risk results to ratio spreads. Uh, dollar correlations, we are watching them closely. They've been pain trade for a while, but uh, realized finally dipped under implied. And we think that with the Fed on hold, um, that uh, correlation should, should crack down a little bit. A uh, lot to Fed hiking cycles uh, basically confirm that uh, that uh, U.S. correlation should be should be weaker, and that again opens up opportunity uh, similar to the carry to wall um, uh, topic that I mentioned earlier along the line of high leverage and carry positive duals. And the final theme that we're watching is wall curve trades versus the macro uh, backdrop um, on the back of the recent patch of soft realized we do find some dislocations along those lines in uh, Euro crosses and also in the space of antipodians, which we think should correct over time. Yeah, thanks a lot, Lord. So that's um, that's a good segue um, to you, Antonin. Uh, clearly, FX carry strategies have had a stellar year um, so far. Uh, what's your outlook on carry going forward? Can it continue to outperform? Sure, Mira. Uh, well, first, like, let's take a step back and say that in general, like, currency returns have been informed by one single factor, which is rates differentials. But, and indeed, like, the most striking expression of this has been the stellar return of carry strategies. A simple nominal carry basket return above 15%, and more or less any kind of variation in carry signal delivered double digits. So those returns were driven by a small number of high yielders, so mostly LATAM and Hungarian Florent, which was helped in those regions by also good fundamentals, we have to say. But I think we can first, before going to the outlook, we can get two important lessons from this. The first one is that a significant dispersion in yield is, in, is ultimately the strongest driver here and the strongest driver of carry. Like even if the backdrop is stable or sometimes the bitter sometimes there are some level of dispersion for in which carry is going to underperform. Uh, and the second lesson is that when carry is very strong, the differentiating power of other signals and type of metrics becomes much more secondary because some are naturally negatively correlated with carry, such as current account balances or value, but also simply because, for instance, the momentum in the local equity market of certain currency is going to be less a focus from uh, investors. Going into the second semester, like we still see a bit of room for carry because uh, various implementation of carry still have some scope to outperform given the persistence of high yields. Our economists still view inflation as a bit sticky and persistent. And like our macro uh, emerging market team is still positive on uh, LATAM currencies. So the important thing to note is that beta neutral implementations are possible by shorting like G10 high beta currency and buying EMI leader, high yielders on the other side. It's even possible to build portfolio with both uh, long LATAM and USD exposure and, and to fund all this out of uh, G10 high betas or, or low, lower yielders in uh, EM Asia. So doing that, it's even possible to reach, in theory, a negative sensitivity to equity markets. But towards the end of the year and 2024, we start to see carry as a bit more fragile. 
uh, many EM central banks are entering a cutting cycle, so the dispersion on yield is going to shrink uh, during the next the coming year. Like we see some cuts from 100 basis points to 500 basis points in LATAM, depending on the currency by mid 2024. Currently, there is a bit of an issue with the quality, the quality of the carry. Like current account balances have deteriorated for some of the high yield, which may uh, trigger some weakness at some point. But we think that the main risk remains that we are entering the later stages of the cycle. And SV, the, the recent SVB event uh, uh, has shown that the sensitivity for carry could be quite important, that the risk of deleveraging is there. Uh, even, even if you implement uh, beta neutral implementation that we mentioned earlier, like we can smooth the drawdown, but not completely like protect from the deleveraging. Um, and so that's it for us on the carry side. Thanks a lot, Antonin. So um, there you have it. That's the that's the global roundup for the second half of FX. I think uh, the main themes, uh, if you think about it, uh, firstly, uh, you know, we are uh, we are uh, uh, sort of quite interested uh, in uh, late cycle hedges uh, that would be sort of bullish the dollar and Swiss or so defensive currencies like the dollar and Swiss. Uh, versus uh, the more vulnerable currencies like uh, Kiwi, Noki, uh, Euro as well, which is a growth currency. Um, the second thing would be to be short Euro block, uh, you know, via the currencies which have more idiosyncratic vulnerabilities to it, whether that's more stagflationary tendencies uh, like sterling or housing vulnerabilities like, uh, like stocky. Uh, the third theme would be around DOJ dovishness, uh, where we are underweight uh, yen uh, on uh, on a pretty uh, negative uh, real rates uh, versus the Swiss franc, for example, within the reserve currency block, where uh, you know the, we think the SMB is sort of taking a more pragmatic approach towards inflation. And then finally, I would say that uh, you know we still think that carry can continue to outperform uh, our EM team, for example, likes um, uh, you know Mexico and Brazil and LATAM. Uh, but you know, do think that it warrants to be selective and to sort of be uh, to be sensitive around um, around uh, hedging the risks um, on that. And in, in in that way, the G10 commodity currencies, the G10 high beta currencies, continue to look quite vulnerable and good hedges for that. Um, in our view, uh, all other information can be found uh, on our published research on JPMorganMarkets.com. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. Uh, 2023 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on June 23rd, 2023.